Hi there. And welcome to The Dish, a connectivity business news podcast. My name is Madeline Durrett, Senior Associate Editor at Connectivity Business News. And today we're speaking with Daniel Gazinski, Chief Strategy Officer at Comtech Telecommunications, to discuss the importance of Tropo Scatter Technologies and what Comtech is doing to deliver digital equity. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Hey, Madeline. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Really excited uh, to be on the podcast today. Thank you. So I wanted to start off talking about the contract Comtech was awarded recently to supply its Tropo Scatter family of systems to the U.S. Army. Would you elaborate on what this family of systems entails? How do Tropo Scatter communications differ from satellite communications? That's a great question. Um, I'll start with tackling uh, what Troposcatter is. And at at a very high level, Troposcatter relies on bouncing signals off uh, layers of the atmosphere um, to extend communications beyond line of sight without relying on a satellite. And for a variety of reasons, uh, there's a lot of uh, benefit to not having to coordinate uh, or purchase satellite airtime to set up communications over the visual horizon. Um, Our work specifically for the U.S. Army is primarily focused on um, a subset of our troposcatter family of systems that ranges from very small tactical form factor, um, one meter apertures, uh, things that can be taken on a commercial airline um, and then rapidly set up in a matter of minutes, all the way up to large uh, two and 2.4 meter systems that provide for higher throughput and longer distance links. Thank you. And kind of on that topic, um, you touched upon it just now, but why is Troposcatter technology so important for military communications? It seems like there would also be cost benefits of not having to rely on satellites as much, and um, a balanced use of Troposcatter technology could maybe offset or slow down space traffic from constellations and satellites in LEO. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's a, a fair description. I th- there's a couple of things that come into play with Troposcatter. The, the first is it can be set up and uh, torn down relatively quickly. And, and really, that's a new innovation. If, if you look at you know, the Troposcatter systems of the past, they were large, bulky, and cumbersome. And in a lot of cases, very early Troposcatter systems relied on fixed infrastructure. And you know, modern advancements in radio technology have really been what's allowed for these ultra-small form factor tactical terminals to be deployed. Um, for, for a military user in particular, there's a couple of benefits that come into play with Troposcatter. Um, the, the, the first is just that it can be set up relatively quickly and then it can transmit in a way that's you know relatively hard to pinpoint and relatively hard to intercept. Um, and so both of those benefits are you know pretty meaningful for a military customer. Um, the, the other things that I think really come into play here is, you know, the, the uh, lack of requirement to go coordinate in advance um, when, when you're deploying into a particular area. And so you know, rather than having to go procure satellite airtime, which can take weeks or months uh, to, to have done in a particular area, um, it can be done, you know, o- almost instantaneously. That's really neat. And what are what are some scenarios that would rely on multimodal communication systems that use both satellites and troposcatter? I think we're really starting to see a lot of uh, customers 
rely on it. And there, there's a few reasons driving, you know, kind of this future multimodal architecture. And the first is resilience, right? The, the desire to ensure that, you know, a link is up regardless. And, you know, pu- publicly there's been um, a couple of vignettes that both the, the U.S. government as well as uh, some European governments have worked through where they imagine, um, you know, how they would operate in what they call a day without space. And so that's a situation where um, due to a variety of potential reasons, satellite communications are either degraded to the point of not being usable or entirely denied. And a lot of the early use cases that we worked through with Troposcatter focused on it as a potential backup for satellite communications. And so services that, that rely on satellite to, to um, operate for command and control purposes and then broader communications purposes um, needed a method of communication that could be supported uh, without satellite communications. And so ultimately, uh, you know, we saw those uh, use cases uh, at you know, the, the strategic level, right, kind of the, the replacement for the larger aperture satellite dishes. But you saw kind of still an open demand for something that could bridge the gap between what a, a high-frequency radio could do, the, the ultra-short-range uh, line-of-sight propagation, and then a large fixed troposcatter infrastructure. And really, that's what culminated in the development of some of our smaller form factor troposcatter platforms is you know, it enables that you know, tactical edge communications um, in a space-denied or space-degraded environment. And ultimately, what we saw was you know, there's some meaningful benefits to troposcatter beyond just being a backup to satellite. It actually offers lower latency, something that's talked about a lot as a benefit of uh, lower Earth orbit uh, constellations, but it's even better if you don't have to go even up to that five to 800 kilometer range in, in low Earth orbit. And you're, you're simply bouncing off the troposphere or diffracting over natural terrain. Um, it allows for decision making at the speed of relevance, right? You know, re- reducing latency by, um, you know, even uh, a couple of uh, hundred milliseconds can be a meaningful difference in terms of uh, making decisions more quickly. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, performing better in a variety of conditions. And you know, one of the, the common use cases that we see for SATCOM is, you know, setting up and, and deploying um, in challenging uh, environments throughout the world. A lot of those challenging environments deal with uh, rain and uh, in particular KA band satellite systems, like a lot of the, the new systems coming online are, suffer from significant degradation in a rainy event. Um, the same is true for a dust storm or a sandstorm uh, degrades that satellite link. Troposcatter actually, uh, you know, kind of rises to the occasion in those more challenging environments. It uh, performs better uh, with atmospheric obstruction like rain or sand. Um, and so working in conjunction with a satellite system, it's able to kind of pick up that slack uh, that's created uh, by that interference event uh, in the atmosphere and uh, raise to a higher level of throughput. That's really interesting, and I know we spoke about this, but for our audience, would that include space weather? I know there have been some reports of recent solar weather events that can diminish a satellite's performance. Would troposcatter technology have some immunity to this? Yeah, that, I mean, I think ultimately, right, you know, for the most part, the, the solar weather is not going to impact a troposcatter system. It's one of the, the huge benefits uh, to a to a troposcatter system. And, you know, so a, a you know, solar event that might take out satellite communications either temporarily for a mild event or permanently for something more severe 
um, you're going to be able to rely on a tropo scatter system to continue operating uh, in, in that scenario. And, you know, I think that's really important, right, is you know, having kind of these, you know, multiple layers of redundancy. Um, it, it's talked about a lot as, you know, a multi-orbit system, right? You're having a, a geo and a neo and a leo, which I do think is an important part of, of a future architecture, but potentially, you know, a broad scale um, solar event, right, could take out all of those multiple orbits. And so having uh, terrestrial communications that can go beyond the line of sight, I think is an important part of a modern communications infrastructure. So with Tropo Scatter, even if a few satellites go down, it doesn't mean that the network has to go down. That, that's right. And, you know, I think, you know, ultimately with the understanding that, you know, potentially there's a requirement to operate, you know, full command and control infrastructure without uh, any satellites online, Tropo Scatter is a great solution. Thank you. And what fascinates you the most personally about this technology? Well, so I'll, I'll go back a little bit in uh, history. So, you know, Tropo Scatter goes uh, back a long ways in terms of, you know, the initial experiments with it. Um, and you, you can really kind of trace the origins to um, the 1940s, where uh, the FCC was allocating out uh, t- television frequencies and found that uh, things were interfering uh, with stations that they shouldn't have been interfering with. Uh, and the ultimate result for, or the ultimate reason for that was because tropospheric scatter was allowing those television signals to propagate beyond the distance that they thought uh, that they would propagate. Uh, it, it was studied for a few years and developed as you know an alternative to microwave relay and an actual way to push data over a, a, a long distance. Uh, it, it, it propagated for you know a decade, a decade and a half, and then ultimately was replaced by satellite communications in most applications. And for a long time, there was you know, very little continued development of troposcatter. Uh, there, there was a few military systems that were brought online and upgraded into the digital age. But it, in a lot of cases, uh, folks were relying on satellite uh, as you know, that primary beyond line of sight extension capability. Uh, and really, in the last couple of years, as we started to, to recognize and really appreciate just how vulnerable uh, space infrastructure is, ranging from things like an on-orbit collision to uh, potentially a cyber attack uh, to you know, simply space debris catching a satellite and causing it to deorbit, uh, that, that infrastructure is very fragile. And for something that, you know, at, across the world, we rely on for enabling everything from satellite TV to, to military operations, you, you simply have to have a level of redundancy uh, available. And what we found over the last few years was, you know, a lot of the underlying technology that we've uh, grown to develop uh, as a leading communications company that primarily focuses on uh, satellite and terrestrial communications was a lot of that could be applied to bringing, you know, those uh, older troposcatter technologies into the modern age. Uh, our our troposcatter radio at, at we performs about a thousand times better than a previous generation of troposcatter radio. Um, that, that's a that's a meaningful change and you know the, the sort of thing where uh, it's such an improvement that the applications that you can look at and the problems that you can solve are so wildly different than the previous generation that it really requires thinking about things differently. Um, one, one of the you know, particular use cases that we talked about already is you know the, the comment system um, that allows for you know very small form factor um, you know can be carried by a single person. Uh, that's able to extend a signal well beyond the visual horizon. 
we, we've done a couple of other uh, demonstrations recently that, you know, demonstrate troposcatter on the move. And you know, when you imagine a, you know, eight or 10 meter troposcatter antenna, it'd be very hard to have something like that moving. And so it simply wasn't thought about. Uh, today we've got you know a sub meter aperture that we demonstrated on a uh, marine vessel up to sea state four, uh, doing tens of megabits per second. And you know really what that means is you've got a an internet connection that's probably better than the one that I have at home uh, on a boat that's being tossed about in the ocean. That's pretty cool. So Chopo scatter is kind of making a comeback. Um, are there specific events or factors that you think really pushed people to kind of re-examine it and see how they can make it better and how they can find more applications for it? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, a couple of things drove that. You know, the, the first is obviously, um, you know, this, you know, imagined uh, day without space vignette that, you know, was brought to mind by certain things like, you know, satellites colliding on orbit and the appreciation for, you know, what a, a Kessler effect event could cause taking out, you know, broad scale, uh, satellite infrastructure. Um, and, and then also, you know, more recent events like the, uh, you know, during the early days of the uh, invasion of Ukraine when the, the Viasat satellite was under a cyber attack and, you know, temporarily lost connectivity for a broad swath of, uh, you know, the, that coverage area. Um, as a result of that, it, it brought to mind, I think, for a lot of folks, the level of reliance that we have on satellite communications and the relative fragility um, that's wrapped up in, you know, a couple of communication systems. Um, we, we've publicly uh, announced that, you know, in the early days of uh, the Ukraine invasion, we donated um, a number of tropo scatter systems to uh, Ukraine and then ultimately received an order uh, via FMS. For a larger number of those tropo scatter systems, you know, we, we were really excited about you know kind of the operational prove out of those systems, kind of demonstrating on you know, the, the front lines uh, in the hands of uh, the Ukrainian government uh, the capability of tropo scatter in you know a, a contested um, or denied environment. Thank you, and I know that you have had a lot of defense business not just with Trobo Scatter. So would you elaborate on Comtech's defense business outlook in general going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at Comtech, you know, we've been a trusted partner of the DoD and uh, coalition forces for you know, 50 plus years at this point. Uh, a lot of experience developing and deploying uh, what we focus on is interoperable and blended communication systems um, for, for all branches of the DoD and coalition partners. Um, I, I think we've been, you know, put in a really unique position where we're able to leverage our experience on the commercial side uh, of our organization, as well as close relationships within uh, the government community to really spur innovation to cross that divide. And historically, uh, both of those groups were very separate. You know, the DOD followed a, a very regimented process uh, and, and was challenged to bring in commercial innovation. Um, in a lot of cases, that results in the government using kind of the equivalent of a 2G phone in a 5G world. Uh, we've prided ourselves on our ability to take some of those commercial innovations, uh, overlay the necessary security features, overlay the necessary interoperability features, overlay any other specific 
defense-related applications that need to be bundled on there, but then bring kind of a, a, a step function change within the DOD um, with those commercial innovations. Our, our focus going forward you know, really comes down to a couple of uh, specific topics, right? The first is designing technology that's uh, built to adapt and evolve over time to meet emerging use cases and enhance mission effectiveness. Uh, we're, we're focused on resilience. And just like we talked about with Scatter, adding that extra layer of communications, uh, we're, we're constantly looking for ways to better manage and provide more options for our customers to communicate. With that comes a degree of complexity. Uh, that as the network grows and you have more potential uh, paths to transit, it, it becomes potentially more challenging for an operator. And so a, a major area of focus for us is automation um, and, and how you take the human operator out of the loop uh, as much as possible, redu- reduce the cognitive burden on that operator um, and allow for the system to make intelligent decisions. And you know things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, I think, are, are brought up often as a buzzword. We're really focused on the practical applications of how much of a system can be automated such that the operator is able to do their job, uh, which is not troubleshooting issues with the satellite communication system that's being done um, automatically. And then the last area of focus is really interoperability. Uh, and there, there's a, a lot of discussion around, um, you know, standards-based communication architectures. We're big advocates for that, and it's something that we're, we're pushing. It allows for you know, joint service and then coalition collaboration. And ultimately, that approach of, you know, partnering to win, I think, is is very important for uh, government users out into the future. Thank you. And besides defense, can you share more about the other use cases ComTech is exploring for TropoScatter? both government and commercial? Absolutely. So we're, we're really excited about uh, a lot of the potential use cases for TropoScatter. And if you look back at the, the origins of TropoScatter, it was developed to allow for communications over uh, challenging geographical environments. And particularly when it comes to promoting you know, the, the digital equity missions that, that are near and dear to us here at ComTech, uh, TropoScatter is a really good fit for um, a lot of countries that struggle with connecting their unconnected populace. And that ranges from things like the ability to transmit up and around mountains or over oceans uh, without the need to run fiber lines or string out a, a long range of microwave connections uh, in a relay format. And you know, one of the particular examples that we've uh, explored in the past has been some of the challenging terrain throughout uh, India and Africa, where there's mountain ranges that require uh, running microwave links um, you know, every 20 to 30 miles up and over a, a challenging set of terrain. And one of the things that you know is, is kind of obvious intuitively is the amount of work that goes into supplying power um, and, and all of the necessary support infrastructure to string a microwave relay over uh, you know a high altitude mountain range. One of the things that's often forgotten is those things then require maintenance over the long term. And so that means that somebody is hiking out into the mountains every time one of those systems fails. A troposcatter link allows for constant communications where both ends of the link are on opposite sides of that mountain range. Uh, They're relatively easy to reach and relatively easy to maintain. Uh, Another one of the use cases that we've been uh, exploring and done some recent demonstration events is the, the ability to bring up communications rapidly uh, to support disaster recovery. And we saw in uh, Florida uh, after Hurricane Ian, millions of Floridians lost access to 
connectivity. So cell phones, landlines, home internet. Uh, that was one of those Floridians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it was it was a huge it was a huge challenge, right? It went on for weeks, right? And you know, I think that the comment from the FCC was 18% of cell sites in Florida were out of service. But uh, you know, m- more telling was in you know a lot of uh, particular counties, it was above 80% of folks that were completely out of service, and and that means you know you didn't have the ability to dial 911, you didn't have the ability to reach out for help if something had gone wrong. Um, one of the amazing things about TropoScatter is, you know, the ability to go in and immediately set up a link from Fort Myers to Miami or from Fort Myers to Tampa is relatively straightforward. It can be done with a single point to point link and it can provide hundreds of megabits per second of connectivity per TropoScatter link. Uh, and so the ability to, to, to rapidly set that communications infrastructure up when it's not in place or even in the future in places like Fort Myers that are prone to every couple of years, you have a potential opportunity for a communications outage. That link can be up and running um, in advance. It can be prepared. There's no monthly cost uh, associated with the, the satellite time or the uh, spectrum requirements to use TropoScatter or to have the systems in place um, so that it's an instant switch flip and you don't even have a period of time where there's an outage. Uh, that, 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 that's a meaningful quality of life difference. It allows for those first responders that show up on the ground to focus on, you know, the emergency response rather than spending the first two or three weeks driving in trucks that have satellite connectivity, um, trying to find a place to set them up where the roads haven't been impacted to the point where, you know, trailer based capability can't be brought in, uh, and immediately hit the ground running. That's pretty amazing um, that something that's kind of from the past could be so cutting edge and necessary for, you know, the way things are trending down the line now. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, I think uh, similar to you know what we've seen as a resurgence in satellites, which, you know, really, you know, satellite goes back uh, decades as well. Uh, seen like a recent resurgence. I think we're, we're starting to see this, the same effects with TropoScatter. Uh, where people are starting to realize there's an enormous benefit to deploying it, um, but both kind of in the conventional methods that it was used, which is connecting large fixed sites, as well as, you know, new situations like on the move and disaster recovery. And then speaking of digital equity, Comtech recently teamed up with eSpace to distribute Internet of Things services at scale and also join the Amazon Web Services Partner Program how important is collaboration in achieving Comtech's digital equity goals? Yeah, so I think collaboration is incredibly important to the future of anyone who wants to be successful in uh, the, the current environment. The world is changing fast. Um, the, the, the level of innovation that we've seen in uh, communications, even just over the last five or six years, is almost unimaginable. And you know, if you look at a number of the projections for the next five to 10 years, the exponential growth that we're uh, expecting to see in terms of satellites launched and IoT devices brought online, uh, it, it is enough to make your head hurt. And you know, I saw an you know, interesting set of statistics the other day. You know, from 1962 to today, we added uh, just under 4,000 satellites on orbit. Um, but from today to just seven years from now, we expect to add uh, 55,000 plus satellites over, you know, a far smaller time period. And that rate of change means that, 
you know, ultimately you're going to have to find folks to collaborate with and partnering opportunities to bring customers uh, the level of experience and the level of expectation um, fast enough to be relevant. And, you know, I think ultimately Comtech has really leaned into this approach. Um, I know you spoke recently with Honor Bond Chakraborty, our uh, chief technology officer, who uh, spearheads our uh, innovation foundry that we refer to as Evoke, is really focused on going out and developing the right set of partnerships uh, to deliver our customers a next level experience. We're really excited about uh, the partnerships that we've announced uh, within Evoke uh, that I know Honor Bond uh, has, has spoken about, as well as outside of that with organizations like eSpace. And in particular, um, you know, their approach of launching, you know, up to hundreds of thousands of satellites that are focused on IoT connectivity, we think is a you know, really exciting opportunity for the next few years uh, as we see, you know, broad proliferation of IoT devices online with the demand for always on connectivity for everything ranging from smart manufacturing to connecting autonomous vehicles. Thank you. So would you say that it's not only beneficial, but almost necessary with how advanced everything's getting and how high capacity demand is getting? Yeah, I, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, the, the our goal is to deliver, um, you know, a, a high level of customer experience, right? That expectation of seamless connectivity, um, always on, uh, that we've kind of grown to expect over the last few years that, you know, range from, you know, I think back 15 years ago, um, when, when the iPhone was a relatively new device, we, we dealt with the fact that, you know, regularly you'd have cell phone outages, um, you'd drive through sections of the country where you just knew you wouldn't be connected potentially for hours at a time. Um, and that expectation has really shifted towards, uh, I, I want to be online all the time with high data rates, right? I, I won't accept, uh, you know, voice only or text only. Um, and, and, and those expectations get, you know, higher every day of, you know, it ranges from I want to check my email all the way up to I expect streaming video anywhere I am on earth. And, uh, you know, meeting those expectations definitely benefits from, you know, a strong partner ecosystem uh, and a good network of organizations that, you know, we continue to work with out into the future, building on top of, you know, our 50 plus year history, hundreds of patents uh, focused on communications architecture. Thank you. And then I just have one more question. It's open ended. What's one thing you really want our subscribers to take away from this? I, you know, I think the things that I'm the most excited about is, you know, the rate of change and the importance of adaptability out into the future. Uh, you know, and at a high level, that'll that'll wrap into things like convergence. So, you know, satellite and terrestrial starting to come together under the 3GPP working group initiatives uh, focused on non-terrestrial networks, something we talk about a lot and I think is absolutely critical for uh, everything from enabling always-on connectivity to IoT-enabled devices uh, to uh, smart vehicles. I think there's a huge demand signal for that truly flexible always-on connectivity. Uh, I, I'm excited about the way that we're blending uh, some really clever innovation that's being done uh, in the commercial world out into the, the government partnership ecosystem. Uh, and then I think ultimately the, the thing that I'm most excited about is the rate of change that we're seeing uh, out into the future. Uh, you go back, uh, I think 15 years ago, the iPhone was new as a 2G device, uh, turned the world on its head. And, you know, it, I don't think at the point that the iPhone was launched, you could have possibly imagined the world that we live in today. Um, I, I sure didn't. Uh, 
that rate of change is only uh, accelerating out into the future. Um, so the focus on designing systems that account for those future unknowns is critical to success. Um, and then building hooks into large organizations like BDOD that allow for the underlying technology to update while keeping some of the tie-ins to large systems and human operators constant is absolutely key. Um, I, I'm excited about all that. I think uh, you know bringing some of the capabilities that were present in the past um, that have been updated, have been changed, and need to be thought about differently is really exciting. Uh, and then you know, there, there's kind of the the known unknowns of things like you know, what does cybersecurity or AI and machine learning or, or quantum computing do out into the future? Um, you know, things like zero trust and quantum resistant cryptography get talked about a lot in defense contexts, um, but arguably are just as applicable to protecting things like my banking account password. Which, you know, in, in a future state, maybe transit, uh, transiting a satellite relay or via, you know, a half dozen IoT devices before it gets to my bank. Um, that, that's going to have a profound effect on the world geopolitical stage if we don't have good security mechanisms wrapped into place, even on those commercial, uh, architecture. So it's a really exciting time to be in this industry and, uh, you know, really appreciate the chance to, uh, join you today and, and uh, have a discussion about some of the work we're doing. Yeah, I'm really excited about what Comtech has in store for the rest of the year. That does wrap up today's podcast, but we're really excited that Daniel will be joining us for our Connectivity Next Summit in Atlanta this November to discuss more about what Comtech is doing and about connectivity and trends, particularly in the defense sector. So thank you again to Daniel Gazinski, Chief Strategy Officer at Comtech Telecommunications, for joining us today. This has been the DISH Podcast by Connectivity Business News. Did the record?